everyone, and welcome to the Career Navigators podcast. This is where we learn together how others experience their transition from academia into the world and what they're up to now. So if you, like me, want to set your compass for a journey outside of academia and you want to identify which non-academic voyage might be for you, welcome to the pod. And remember, even if our guest doesn't have the exact background, location, or job you're interested in, try to keep an open mind. There's always something to learn. I'm your host, Nikki van Teilingen-Bakker. Today, I'm happy to introduce you to Paola Garcia, whom I met in Mexico City about four years ago. She did her PhD at the University of Plymouth in the UK before returning to Mexico to work for the environmental department of the Mexican government. After a while, though, she missed the rigor of academic research, which is how she ended up in a boundary institution at the National Autonomous University of Mexico, UNAM. She will tell us all about how research can impact policy and how she is slowly and publicly trying to make Mexico City a safer city to cycle in. Enjoy. So... Paola, can you start by telling us a little bit of your background? Um, what did you study? Where do you come from to go from there? Yes, well, thank you very much, Nikki. Uh, yeah, well, I am Mexican. I uh, was born in Mexico City and I did my first degree in, in the UNAM. That is one of the biggest uh, universities here in Mexico. I did biology as my first degree, then I carry on with a, a PhD degree. I jumped from master's, just I went directly to PhD in the United Kingdom in Plymouth, in the south, very close to Bristol, where I was working there for topics related to fires and species conservation mainly. But I was studying in, in UK, but my work was in Ecuador. So I was in contact with Latin American countries as well as Mexico. So that was very interesting because I keep uh, developing like all the knowledge that I acquire in the PhD, but related to Latin American uh, systems. After that, uh, while well, I trying to carry on with my professional development, but it was quite complicated to go to a postdoc, for example. So uh, I try in the different countries, like even I went to interviews to Japan, also in the United Kingdom, but finally I finished in Mexico again, but in a government institution that is called the National Institute of Ecology and Climate Change, that is from the federal institution, and I worked there for five years. It was very, very interesting, but it was very difficult to jump to a higher position, even with a a PhD. And also I had some experience as a postdoc in the UK, but I couldn't jump to a a higher position. So I started to look again. And now I am working in the National Laboratory for Sustainability Sciences, that is uh, from the Ecology Institute from UNAM again. So I came back from my origins and I am a researcher and a lecturer uh, in sustainability sciences mainly. That's a really nice introduction. Thank you very much for that. Let's first start a little bit with your transition of moving from Mexico to to the UK. That must have been quite a bit of a culture shock. What was the thing that struck you most when you when you arrived in the UK? Uh, the weather. <laughs> Uh, the weather is one of the, the, the main at the beginning. Later on, I just uh, got used to. 
the food as well, the, the lack of many ingredients and chili really was a, a huge change. But also the way of behaving in, in academia and, and in general, not very formal. That was a good shock in a way, no? that the things could work in a different way. And that was a, a, a good output from, from the interaction and how things were moving faster because of a great organization and also for lots of funding that comparing with Mexico, we don't have that. So you can feel it, no? that, that, that uh, you have more opportunities to, to do what you want. So there were two sides, no? the good shocks and bad shocks. But yeah, I think it, it was in general a very good experience to be in a different, a very, very different country from, from Mexico. Yeah, that's true. And if you had gotten that job in Japan, then that would have been even, even more different again. I mean, we've talked a lot about the Asian culture and Korean pop and everything like that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how we bonded initially. So then in terms of your work, more like that, is there anything that you think that the, the UK can learn from Mexico and vice versa when it comes to sustainability and, and environmental work? Yeah, totally. I think the ways of perceived nature are quite different, just to start start with that, like the population and also the, the institutions uh, feel different that, and I think it's because of how they manage the, the resources in the past. No? For example, in Mexico, we still have some remnants. I cannot say pristine because they are not, but quite well preserved compared with the UK that it, it's 100% transformed. No? Like they have forests now, but they are like cultivated forests, no? Like they are not as like black and done jungle here in Mexico, that they are still wild. And also the diversity of cultures, it's another huge difference that also makes a different interaction with nature that you can perceive immediately. And, and in Mexico, in the case of Mexico, this these make it very beautiful, but at the same, very challenging. No? The, 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 this high diversity of ecosystems, cultures, people, uh, religions, that's another huge thing. I think those uh, differences make like, a good opportunity for both countries to, to learn from. No? Like UK, when some students came here as, uh, as placements, and they cannot believe how Mexico cities so developed and quite rich some areas are very rich and you see like a very European city but then you move a little bit from the city and then you see the difference no like how the countryside is and how the resources and lack of money and poverty so these I don't know points of reality of other countries that I think in the world they are the most common ones compared with the very well countries like UK, I think we can learn a lot, no? like how we can manage, but also when you uh, add diversity, the challenges get higher and more complicated. Mm, tying into that, a little bit of the cultural differences also in, in terms of mm, what I noticed in Mexico, and, and I think that's, that's quite a common stereotype maybe of, of Latin America, um, you are a woman in science, which in Europe is already hard enough in a way. And I can only imagine that in Mexico, that's even tougher um, in certain aspects. 
what what do you think about that what's your experience there well yeah it's still complicated and um, in sciences and also in sciences in sciences and in the government it's double uh, there are lots of power forces inside uh, it's difficult to even earn more money compared with the men it's just a classic here and in a way you get used to and that's the worst part no uh, that yeah it's normal that men earn more than you and to coming back from the uk that was for me yeah another shock <laughs> also from my own country no that uh, yeah well to to accept again I think the university has some advantages compared with the governmental institutions that they are really fighting for the uh, to make this even and there are lots of programs in the university to try to make this difference uh, less and less through time and seminars and yeah I, I could say that in the in the university you cannot feel it that much but outside and in the government and in other jobs I think in the private uh, companies this is still in Mexico a, a, a common point so now I am quite comfortable here but I could say that dur during my first five years since I came back yeah that was a, a big fight <laughs> I can only imagine And then in terms of your, your job for the government, what kind of uh, people, except for mostly men, what kind of people did you usually interact with? Did you have to change your way of communicating at all? Yes, the, this uh, institution has the feature that you need to interact to very high level institutions like in Mexico, it's the Ministry of Environment and all the branches that are related to forest, ocean and so on but also with communities, with local communities. Like we were in between these two worlds. So we needed to go to the field and work with the, with the people and make lots of like very social work. But also we had very high level meetings with other countries. I was in several committees with the UK, with Canada, with the US, also with Latin America, working together because it's uh, in the government. We needed to move from all these scales uh, with all a uh, high variety of people. That was super interesting. Uh, but also, uh, yeah, you said you need to adapt to every environment. So, yeah, but I, I really liked that one. That job was amazing. So then what what did you like the most and what were some of the biggest challenges of that job? I could compare the difference between being in academia and in the governmental sector. It's like you are in the first frontier with the real world when you are in the government. So you need to work super fast. You need to solve things very quickly and give answers as soon as, soon as possible because you are the face of uh, the government to the population. No? The, and uh, That makes you being a rush with lots of adrenaline in your body, working and working very hard. That was very cool. But at the same time, the robustness of the information and the way of producing, for example, reports of uh, written work was very challenging no? because you need to use information provided by the academia, I don't know, papers or 
fresh, but uh, sometimes because of the urgency or the emergency, uh, that these products are very shallow, I think is the word. Like that was very, I don't know, when I read what I am doing now, uh, compared with the work that I was producing there, you could see the difference that that's the academia has, not this very uh, produced, robust, uh, anal analytic way of doing things, but also that takes lots of time to do, no? like years. So this balance, it's it's a, a huge challenge to produce woodwork in a good uh, amount of time to really give it to uh, decision makers to use it. And that balance doesn't exist. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest barriers from both. No, like some uh, academia is very slow and the other is too fast. So it's two ways of working. Yeah, and so how would you then compare your um, your work life balance and your working hours uh, in academia compared to the to your government job? I think in the academia the work is more personal. Like you are involved in your own ideas and developing those ideas that passionate you more. No, that you can stay hours and hours because it's your own thinking and you are placing that in uh, in paper. So it doesn't matter how much hours you dedicate because you really like it. It's uh, very creative. In the case of a uh, government, you usually have a boss and he or she tells you what to do. So you are just following instructions and that's not that creative and a little bit limited. You usually use your 40 hours per week, finished, and, I know. and in the case of academia, well, it doesn't matter if you work during the weekend. So I think you give more in academia because you are closer to the things you like and you don't have usually a proper boss no, that it will tell you what to do. Well, that depends on what stage in academia you're at, I guess. But but now you're the boss, so you, you made it there. <laughs> so could you then tell us a little bit about what your day-to-day -day life looked like in the in the government job? What were your main tasks? Were you mainly in meetings, writing reports? You mentioned doing field work. So what were you what were you doing there? I I think they were uh, we were working like in a seasonal way. Uh, for example, at the beginning of the year, we were preparing projects for the rest of the year. So it was too much writing, too much planning, and trying to see where and how we are going to spend our resources, human and also financial resources. The following months were dedicated to apply this kind of uh, uh, planning. But in my particular case, I was in charge of the international projects so I was like making links between other countries and try to get money to finance these projects that we were uh, proposing at the beginning of the year and these were uh, related to adaptation mitigation all related to climate change impacts maybe half of my my work was dedicated to meetings and producing reports and checking and revising and yeah correcting reports that's that sounds like a government job as i have it in my head so and so then what what were some of the the main projects you had been working on in the government what are some of the maybe policies or deals that you managed to get um during your time or that you were involved with let's say 
Mainly, I was working in the evaluation of vulnerability of ecosystem, Mexican ecosystems. I was working to taking data from the field, like not just biological or, or ecological data, just the connection between society and how all the impacts of climate change were making these ecosystems more vulnerable and to evaluate how populations were responding to these those changes and try to summarize this to bring it to our institution and develop policies to prepare them to give some recommendations for adaptation to 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 climate change depending on which uh, systems they were for example is different i don't know a coastal uh, or yeah, coastal ecosystems and desertic or mountain ecosystems. So we were like jumping from one to the other to see how they were responding and how we can adjust our policies to to help to deal with these impacts from climate change. That's very nice because I'm assuming you use academic research also to to inform these policies. How do you think that scientists can help shape those policies? Yeah, well, I think it's super important that more academics jump to to this uh, kind of jobs because the way of doing things is super different. I think you you really try to make a a robust whatever you do, you try to make it so serious, so well done because you 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 learn that through those years now, uh, PhD or master or and also. I found difficult to break this uh, shell of academia to be in the government. That's also difficult, not to stop being an academic and being a, a public server. That's that's different, and you need to change a little bit to also adapt to those environments where you need to work super fast. So for me, it was on both sides, no, to keep things well done and also to give a quick answer. And then do you think if scientists were to engage more in science communication, I guess, especially in your field of um, environmental research and shaping the public opinion, do you think that can help shape policies? Yeah, for sure. Like in many occasions or usually at least this institution that I was working with promotes and asks the opinion of uh, scientists to develop and carry on projects like it's a, a, a continuous interaction with academia to improve this no to to really if we don't have those skills or if that institution doesn't have that skill go and look for specialists or someone in academia that has it and try to reinforce information or any opinion with an expert but then those experts probably have to change the way that they speak about their research a little bit to make it understandable for those who work in the governmental institution i am assuming yes some do it but others keep it complicated (laughs) also it, it has been a process during the last maybe 10 years that you can see scientists that are more rock stars no more open and also to jump no sometimes in the UNAM we have that possibility in the academia in these universities for like some time off at an institution then you can go back to univers to the university so those uh, like a placement in the government so those kind of programs are get to have that experience in other sectors 
Yeah, I think that definitely makes a lot of sense in terms of shaping the way that people think and shaping the way that people communicate, or in this case, scientists communicate with other parties. Well, let's talk a little bit more about what you're currently doing. So you left your government job, you went back to academia to work for UNAM. So what is what is your position now and, and what does it entail? Well, working a very... Well, they call it boundary institution. That is the, there are just a few in Mexico that are, we are at the edge of uh, the connection with other sectors. So for me, it was a, a good change, but also quite, it has been quite similar to the work that I was doing in government. But now in academia, I'm making deeper research of these interactions and the linkage with other institutions. So my main role in, in the position that I am is to try to develop transdisciplinary research that uh, encourage interaction between different knowledge communities in the search for solutions to sustainability problems. So it doesn't matter from which sector you are, if you are a key person for for this project, we are going to consider uh, the connections. Also, I, I do some lecturing, like training professionals, technicians, and researchers in sustainable science for these education processes, but also in a formal, like taking a class, but also in a non-formal way. You know? Like we go to communities, we work with them to also let them know that they're institutions that could collaborate with them but sometimes these bonds are not happening and we are in charge of i'm not in charge of we are we are trying to make these links Mm, so you're you're trying to build bridges between the different sectors so what are some of the projects you've been working on because i i noticed that um you had quite a couple quite a couple of papers coming out this year already could you tell us a little bit more about that Yes, well, making links and research these processes, uh, you can make it in a very different way. So one way is developing platforms to connect people. So one of the papers that uh, we published just in one month ago was related to develop a platform to put people that who love cycling together. In Mexico City, we don't have that much infrastructure for bikes. So like in Netherlands, that's a, well, a way of living. <laughs> but here in Mexico, you can die really very easily if you go with your bike. So this platform was developed. Uh, I was working with a colleague that is super, super good. And he had an amazing idea to how we can put people together if you go to your job but there is not infrastructure, but you want to join the road and shouting or something could be very weird. So it's a platform that lets you know who is around, how far it is from you. You can upload it in your mobile phone. And if you really want to join with this person, you know how to approach and maybe to join the ride together to go to work because Maybe main roads have have this cycle line, but in general, maybe 80% of the city doesn't have it. So these platforms are very easy to program, but also to adopt, it's a huge challenge, but it helps us to link with other persons. So 
developing of platforms is a way that we are working with, but also we have another project on impact. We are evaluating impact of sustainability projects that we know that there are thousands of uh, sustainability projects around the world, but we cannot perceive this change, no? That how much money is invested there, how much people is working on the on that, but still we, we see this work, this world like falling apart. So why? And there are some frameworks like the theory of change that it lets us to evaluate some projects deeper to see impacts at short-term, uh, mid-term, and long-term, and see if what we are proposing is going to work at those times. At the moment, we are working with the sustainability projects and also developing a platform to also give it and put it uh, maybe in a website for others to evaluate their own projects and see if they are going to work in those futures. That's pretty interesting. So first I'll comment a little bit on the on the project about cycling. So clearly you're trying to um, employ the safety in numbers principle. Um, and I can only imagine because as you say in the Netherlands, people are used to cycling, cycling in groups together. Everyone goes to school together. In Germany, it's a little bit different because technically I think you're not allowed to cycle next to each other. But then I can only imagine that in, in cities like Mexico City that it's it's absolutely terrifying <laughs> to cycle <laughs> at any given point in time. So do you think Mexico City will, will take this as a hint? Do you actually have a user base at this point? That Are people actually using the app? Because it's an app, right, that you developed? Yeah, that's right. Uh, right now, no. Uh, we are developing the mobile application for testing and releasing. But one interesting part is that when we finish the publication, we spread it around the world. And the, the Mexico City local government called us to participate in some forums to see how we can implement this more formally. And maybe at least Mexico City could implement it and spread it so that was a, a huge surprise for us next week we are going to have those forums with the populations to see if they consider it useful we can make it because another thing that it's a big issue is safety you know that with who you are uh, sharing the the line or the road in that case that's one of the big challenges of, of this because you don't know if that person is approaching approaching to 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 ride with you or they are going to steal your things <laughs> so we need to solve those and the government the local government could help because maybe you can I don't know, have a special ID for your bike or it could be linked with your Facebook account or any account that at the end you have, it has an identity and you could be a little bit safer, no? because I don't know, any platform could be, it, it can fail, no? but uh, working with the city and the uh, local government, I think it, it will be a, a big jump, no? like just doing, a, doing it alone. Yeah, for sure. And then, in terms of, because what I'm struggling to understand a little bit here is like, of course, the people who would use it are are people who would want to cycle to work, let's say, or, or maybe go out for a drink, if that's possible, <laughs> afterwards to cycle back. 
But anyway, um, so people who are driving through the city, um, why do you think it's safer or better to to have multiple people cycling in the same path or at the same time? Can you explain that a little bit? Yes, in Mexico City, we don't have many lines, but you can see the roads that they are most common used, even if they don't have paths. So the big fight between cars and bikes, it also you can perceive it. No, If you are alone in one bike and a car wants to cross, you, you'll never have the, the preference. So, But if there are 10 bikes, you will cross. So it gives something that is called critical mass, that you, with more people, you can take advantage of those roads that maybe are being used, but not in that way. So in a very uh, uh, random way, you get organized with a simple uh, platform, then with two or three people, you can use this public space easily because of lack of this infrastructure. That's one thing. And the other is that Condesa, these are neighborhoods that have very nice uh, infrastructure, but they are very touristic. They are used by, by people that want to look around the city, but they are not the normal users, that, that the people that go to work or, I don't know, just for a normal trip. You don't need to go to Condesa to just cycle there. No? You can look the best place around your neighborhood. So this kind of apps could help for that and also to identify which roads could be good for a project to develop a line and model what could happen. Now, this has been used for many, even if the path is not there, and this information could be useful for decision makers to say, maybe we need one path here. And it, what, it will work because we know already that it's been being used okay so you're also planning to gather the migration data of the cyclists who use the app all this information is open data and also the scripts are available for anyone who is interested so we try to work in that way open source ah, okay so that that's what i was kind of going to go to next like are you planning to try to monetize this or is it really for public use and and governmental use eventually yeah, it's for, for public use and anyone that wants to take it, change it, make it better and share it again, it will be awesome. We are so open <laughs> to doing That's great. Well, guys, you hear it. There's um, loads more cycling going to happen in the world if you adopt this app. <laughs> I, I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> Great. And then um, let's go back to the other project that you were just telling us about. So it's a little bit about creating a platform. How should I see this? Is it kind of creating a platform to put research out there and project how it will do in the future? Or can you re-elaborate a little bit on that? Yes, for sure. Well, we are still developing this. It's not something that's going to be released soon. We hope that this is going to be finished in two years. So what I have is more like the conceptual idea. But what we would like to do is to first map some sustainability projects that are working with society, maybe projects that work in a regional scale and also national scale, like different kind of a diversity of sustainability projects. We want to map how they perceive impact and how they measure it because if the projects come from academia, usually they are measured, the impact is measured by the production 
have papers, number of citations, impact factor, and th things like that. But this is more uh, academic impact. And this project should be uh, targeting the benefit of population. And sometimes those things are so, I don't know, detached that we would like to encourage, not to think further. Yeah, your publication is so great. The impact factor is huge, but the population, what? No, so... It's to, to, to map at the beginning how they measure impact, how they perceive impact, because other, uh, for example, NGOs usually make it measure impact compared with how much money I am uh, investing here and how much uh, beneficiaries in the field are. So that's another way of measuring. But there are all these diverse ways of uh, measuring, and we will, we would like to map this at the beginning. Afterwards, uh, having this first approach with the, the, these projects, we would like to, I don't know, identify the variables that are more frequent in the measurements and see which, one, which ones are the, the ones that contribute more to the benefit of population and start to develop this platform. That could be a generic platform where you start to feel like, What is your main goal? Ah, well, it's this one, this one. Have you considered what is going to happen in two years after your project finishes? Yes or no? Or, and how you measure that? Start to question a little bit, bit deeper how these projects are making changes or making transformations in the areas where they are being applied. And if those changes are real, and are going to be there for make this a better world, no? Maybe it's a, <laughs> a very idealistic project, but I think we will have some interesting results. So you could see these huge differences between how you measure impact and make, maybe we can make it narrower or maybe we can make a mix, but also to return this information to all these uh, possibilities of uh, people that are bringing these projects to realize, hmm, I haven't think about it. Or, oh, yes, this is important. Oh, yeah, of course, I haven't considered any time. No? Could be a very, very good learning for this diversity that we can find outside. I, I really love this idea. And I think it's, it's fantastic because it's something that I actually struggle a little bit with being in academia. And of course, with biomedical science, it's even further removed, right? To be able to see your impact if you work in a fundamental research field, it's quite hard sometimes, or it will take a lot of time, if any time at all, to, to get picked up and let's say be made into a medicine. So I really, I really like this idea also because Academia seems so focused on the production of papers, but sometimes there there has to be a balance. There's really the production of papers and how do I make my paper as attractive as possible to be able to publish it in Nature, Cell or Science without, you know, actually a positive outcome at the end of it, right? It's all data, data, data and making it as interesting and as hip and happening as possible. So I, I really kind of like this idea. And I think we need more idealistic ideas in the world, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and well, just to add in that what you are saying, and it's super important what you just mentioned, is that it doesn't matter if we are developing like a basic research or or more elaborated processes, but what 
we consider important is which part of the work that I am doing, it's part of this huge process and my contribution is this one. But if you don't thinking at the beginning, just to produce what you just mentioned, like data, data, but where is the link with the all these things that are going on at the same time? So even if, if we are still no, like answering very theoretical uh, questions, that doesn't, that's, does not mean that it's part or it's a, a, an output that could be placed somewhere and it could be useful. But if you think it from the beginning, it gives more impact than if it just uh, answer a, a simple a question and afterwards it's just like, where mm, I can put it. Maybe if you think that before, someone is just waiting for that, that information and you can just modify it a little bit to make it a higher impact of what you are producing. Do researchers deposit their projects or are you actively looking for projects to add to the to the platform? Well, with this project, we apply for another grant that also is the UK Pact. Okay, maybe you, you know it, but it's a, a funding that gives uh, good money for uh, making links. And we are working with a diversity of projects that some of them we are trying to approach and convince them to to let us go in the, their process and how they they do things and others are given like for example in our institution many projects are developed every year so some of them when we presented this idea say okay I can give my project for you to begin no to see how, how I am doing it and I am interested of the results. So we have some that are already happy to to collaborate with us. Another, we wanted to have this diversity. I'm sure that we need to contact people here and there. The experience that I had in the government gave me a big directory of people that I can contact and I hope that they will say yes. But at least we have already maybe 20 projects that are open to collaborate with us. And also if we have this funding with the United Kingdom, a huge project from the energy sector is going to be inside and we are, it's going to be our very detailed study case that also connects with lots of industries, lots of local government and population. So we will have a very deep case and another uh, project that are going to uh, give some information. Right now in your portfolio, what would you say is the is the most impactful or or has the chance to become the most impactful project in the future? I think this one, because I think everybody wants to feel that we are moving forward. We are making changes. We are we want to see so those changes, and we have the feel or, or the feeling that right now everything is breaking down. No crisis disease and to give a little space to see okay if if I can do it better if I can make a change if I can twist a little bit my processes and provide a biggest or bigger in the in the communities for the people I am doing my my work better I will say so this project uh, I think it could have high expectancies in a couple of years that also it's going to be open source and if anyone can want to use it we are super happy to to provide the information the platform and everything that's also a way of of 
thinking of this uh, institution or at least our laboratory. For this specific project to kind of get a better feel, if you can comment on that, because I don't know how sensitive that information might be, but um, kind of what does this project entail? Can you give a quick summary and then can you comment a little bit on what exactly you think makes it so impactful? Like what, I mean, maybe this is too scientific of me, but how, what kind of data do you expect to come out of there that really shows you like, well, first there there was this baseline and now it got better or worse or I don't know, however, increase, decrease? Well, that's a tough question. <laughs> uh, more than when I am uh, developing the, the theoretical part. Well, we want to make an op- in an operative way. We are developing a methodology that, that is based in on a systematic process now, like the sustainability sciences mix like qualitative and quantitative data, and that's a very good approach, but also very complicated to to carry out. So we wanted to make it very quantitative. What we want to do is to identify variables from the processes of measuring impact and develop indicators that are going to be in the platform. The way of validating this at the beginning, this model and afterwards the platform is to go with the researchers and show if the model that we are developing is the the, the, the model that they consider it's valid, it's useful, or it would just like making it up now so we want to construct it like an onion no like a very simple model so validated with the users with the people that work with this kind of projects and see okay do you think these variables are uh, good enough are explicating the process and if they say yes we validate them we redo things and make the indicators and place it in the platform to maybe for a trial or a beta version. No? I think that the stakeholders and the people that work in this kind of projects are going to be our our judges, yes, that also are going to be in, in contact several times to co-produce and co-design the, the first uh, attempt. I see. So definitely it seems very helpful for a the academics or the people who actually initiated these projects and then deposit them in in your platform. Do you think there's going to be others who are going to adopt your platform, like the government or maybe funding agencies, um, to gauge whether these projects are are worth investing more in? Where do you see the the future of this platform going in, in the long run? I think it could be interesting for NGOs, for example, because like the framework that we are working has been used since 1990, I think, that this this theory of change uh, method that, uh, for example, Greenpeace or huge NGOs have used the UN to evaluate impact of their projects. So it's not something that is so innovative. It's innovative, the platform, the framework, it's... It's quite known in these kind of programs that are directed to population. So I think that's that's the the hook, no, that you know how this works, but you don't have this platform. And it's enriched with the diversity of, of projects that and it's validated. And if you want to make your criticism and we can improve it. So I think in that way let us to approach to 
different sectors. And so it seems that for both of these projects, the cycling and, and also this platform that we just talked about, you need quite a lot of informatics and let's say computer skills that I don't have. Is that something that you are contributing or do you have to collaborate with others who, who bring these skills to the table? The laboratory has technicians, specialized people that have huge skills to for developing. And also we have the infrastructure. We have a, a supercomputer with lots of cores that can make modeling quite fast. So with those two things, and also we have some, some holes that are designed for interaction for making workshops and things like that, that are different from a normal room. For example, there are circular rooms that help us to try to uh, make even the participation and no one stands out more than other people. They are called decision theaters that the, the laboratory has. And this, this infrastructure make us easier the, the developing the development of this project so there is a, a short a small group of people but they have high skills in in programming and okay so if i understand correctly the decision theaters are more or less to facilitate communication within the group what are some of the challenges that you face um communicating with all these different people on these these projects Yes, also the design of uh, the facilitation. Well, I cannot say it's different, but it's more adapted to different sectors because if you have civil society, government, academia, the way of communi communicating things uh, should be straightforward, no misunderstanding. So the development of the workshops is what. Well, we try to design it uh, uh, as better as we can. We have experts as well that have expertise on that. So they are in the project already. Yeah, I think that's very nice to to really establish proper communication between all of those different people. That's usually the biggest challenge in any team, especially a team as diverse as, as what it sounds like for you. One question I, I still had is, how do you think that academia prepared you for your job in government? And then how did your government job then prepare you for the function that you have now? Well, I think academia programs you to think in a very critical way. You question everything. That's very good, I think. In general, people hate it, no? You always, why? Why? Could you explain me that? But I don't know. It makes you go deeper and deeper to true things, no? And I think that's, that's very good from, from sciences. On the other hand, being in government lets you experience what the real world is and how people suffer and how their needs are, their real needs are, and puts you in the field, no? Uh, the, the, yeah, that you need to solve quick. So for me, I think uh, both experiences have enriched what I am now and also allow me to be in this position in a boundary institution that in another way I could I couldn't not have it no that uh, if I will just stay in academia even the, the, the job description said no you need to have at least five years of experience in an in another sector and it really you can feel it and you also your brain changes not you construct and deconstruct and that's that's very very nice no that uh, let you, let you think in a different way and put you in the shoes of uh, others and also come back and make it very robust. So for me, it has been 
a huge experience to be in both sides. I would like to go back at some point to to the government or to an NGO or a public or a private because it gives you a lot of information that when you are settled in one, I cannot say in academia or anyone, but when you settle, you are losing some things. Now we know that, but sometimes you get like comfortable and say, oh, I'm fine here, but really opens your eyes in a different way. So I fully recommend it to jump from one to another if you have the chance. Say yes and go for it. <laughs> I I couldn't agree more with this with this statement. I think it's very very important. Very many different experiences and also experience different projects, but different people as well, because they will always enrich your thinking. One question that I actually quite like asking is that if you had an unlimited budget, like any money in the world, what kind of project would you design? Like you have an unlimited budget and the best people who will work with you on this project. What kind of people would you get on the project and what kind of project would you like to develop? Okay. I will say to increase partnership and collaboration, real one, to try to put a common floor to really interact in a more human way and to really care about what things we are doing. Because I think. That's of the big things that are making this world to to falling apart. So we consider always that our field is the most important and we don't see that we complement each other. And it sounds so hippie, but I don't care. (laughs) I think it's one of the things that we need to do now because we are so specialized. We work in a very specific thing, so we cannot see the rest. And now that I work in a, a in a very transdisciplinary world, I can see that every time that I expose with a chemist or a lawyer or a doctor or farmer or any people can give you important information. So sometimes what it's missing is we don't know how to communicate. And also, we are very full of ourselves that we don't know that really every single discipline, every single knowledge could be very important to contribute to solutions, uh, sustainable solutions. So for me, it's to try to build this common collaborative floor. So what kind of discipline would you want to interact with most? Like what kind of field would you like to incorporate in, let's say, environmental sciences more? I would say energy, energy, like oil, like these big, big, big companies or industries, no? like they have all the power in the world and really they don't care. Well, that's my feeling. Maybe I'm completely wrong. Some, no? we are human. Some people care, some less, no? but uh, I think energy now is one of the sectors that are in a very privileged position. Because they always have the money, the funding. It's very related to the uh, country development. So to interact with them and to try to make them see that this could be done in a different way or in a more collaborative way and that, I think it will be great. I would say in the energy sector. In your opinion, what is the best way to involve 
let's say normal people in in this process so you mentioned the farmer you mentioned people in the countryside who usually in this case are are most affected by climate change what is your ideal way of involving these kinds of people in the process well what we are trying to do is we when we develop a, a project is to involve people from the beginning and during the whole process so if a farmer for example in changing policy for agriculture. We don't go and ask, we don't go and see, are you okay with this? No, we just bring him in no? and, and try to have representative uh, population farmers that are discussing no? and trying to put uh, this, as I said, no, this floor to, to open discussion and give opinions because at the end, those changes, let's say in policy or in programs that are, being promoted uh, are they are going to receive them and they're going to get affected by them so if you bring them in and you make this collaboration with them not with this uh, way of doing it that is the most common like i will give you the answer this is the way of doing it and you just learn from me because it has not worked in years in that way so bring people in and let's co-design co Uh, collaborate and cooperate during the process I think to raise those voices and work together that's the way I think we are doing it and and it, it works so maybe in a small scale now not making it bigger it will be more complicated but from now it's working if you look back at at your career that you made until now is there anything you would have changed Like, for example, say, no, it would be better to study geography instead of biology or something like that. Mm, yeah, for instance, or, you know, that you wish you wouldn't have have switched to government at the time that you did, that maybe you would have wanted to do a postdoc instead or anything like that. Yeah, I would say no. No, 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 really. I, I, I have enjoyed all these experiences. Uh I could say I would like to work more with Asia. I feel a little bit like, oh, why I couldn't stay in Japan? I was very keen to, to do it. But now that I am here, I have a sabbatical year. So I am trying to make some bonds with Asia to maybe go and learn something or have a project with them. I really like, and I would like to learn from the that part of the world so I, I don't regret that much because they kick me out to say no you're not necessary here but uh, I am stubborn so I will fight for it and uh, I'm sure that we were going to have those collaborations but uh, in general I will say that I, I've been happy uh, with all this, these decisions and jumpings from here to there so It definitely sounds like it. But still, there must have been some hard times where you were doubting yourself and, and your capabilities or maybe felt like you weren't in the right place or you weren't good enough, a little bit of imposter syndrome. Is there any message you would like to send then to your former self in those hard times? Any you know good advice that you want to give your former self? Oh, yes. Well, every time that you start something new, it's scary. So just hold yourself or keep going I will say every time I did it but I cried a lot when I started my PhD in another country 
learning another language with uh, no tacos <laughs> or other things. But uh, every time that I say, no, no, I will keep going. I'm, I'm here. I have a, a Mexican scholarship that is difficult to get. I am a, I have this opportunity, so I will take it. And also when I started in the government, I was so scared, like, oh my God, I just know how to use uh, the lab stuff. And I don't know how to even know like uh, lots of words no, that they use in, in there. So, but because I had the previous experience, just okay, the first months are going to be rough, but uh, they are going to get better. And the same experience that I came back, I think that's that was the, the most scariest because the scariest sorry because academia is rough academia judge you see you criticize you just every single thing that you do is just oh, why why tell me tell me so I was in a more relaxed environment and coming back uh, put me in a in a complicated situation but uh, also gave me freedom so uh, just stay there and and taste it and yeah that that would be the advice for myself <laughs> in the past that's really great and i i hope everyone listening can also heed this advice just keep going and well i think that's the end of our interview thank you very much paola you definitely showed us that it's possible to return to academia after having tasted um the experiences of of another um, sector and definitely that you can move on from there and and try loads of different things so thank you very much for that no thank you very much Nikki. it was a pleasure and uh, and do it it's it's lots of fun <laughs> thank you very much for thinking of me and that's it for our interview today you can find her work on ResearchGate or on the website of UNAM. If you like this episode, please subscribe, share, and follow us on Twitter or LinkedIn at Career Navigators to be updated with new and upcoming episodes and for more information. If you have questions or suggestions, or if you have any interesting career stories we can all learn from, please reach out on social media or send us an email at careernavigators.pod at gmail.com. I would like to thank Johan Frieden for making our logo, Lindsay Baltima for help with social media and production, Gustavo Cariso for editing, mixing, and sound design. That's it for me. Catch you in two weeks. Later, navigators. <laughs>